Well, I do want to welcome those joining us online today. It's a joy that we get to reach people that way as well. And thanks for being here. If you're new to the church, I'm Pastor Zach. Shelly and I uh, serve as lead pastors, and what a joy and privilege it is to do that. And let me say, too, Shelly had uh, been brought to her attention that the website for sign up for the ladies' event isn't working the way it should yet this morning. So if you want to sign up, don't worry about the website. Just go ahead and sign up at the Main Street Theater. Uh, we've got lots of ways to sign up, but we just want to see you there. I know it's going to be a great time on Friday night for the ladies. It'll be fun. Uh, it'll be a joy. You won't want to miss it. Shelly and I, we were just reflecting yesterday morning on the week gone by at Connection Point, and it was an incredible week. If, if it was, really was. Last Sunday, if you were here, we had seven people come forward saying they want to follow after God. They want God-listening hearts. They want to, they want to be reconnected with their creators. That was, what a joy. Um, I, was, I was up here and, and just sharing, you know, would you like to respond? And I looked up, and it's just the hands that were raised filling the room. It was just an awesome thing. And so we're grateful for that. And then Tuesday, we have our food pantry, and, and three people came in and said they want to follow after God. So they made decisions to follow Jesus that day on Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, our, our kids, you know, some came in here, some stayed back in Brightside, our elementary kids. Seven kids in the back made a decision to follow Jesus on Wednesday. What a joy. And then we had one, one parent, you know, praying with their dad. Um, I tell you, there's no greater joy as a father than to pray that with your kid, you know? Like, basically, that child becomes born, and you get to lead him to Jesus. It just, just doesn't get better than that. Um, so we had that on Wednesday night, and then we had a people that just came to the, if you were here on Wednesday night, coming forward saying, we just want more of you, God. That's what, that's what it is. We're seeking more of you, God, and all that you have for us, and 30-plus and people baptized in the Holy Spirit. What an awesome thing. And then Friday night, Shelly and I came over here as we kicked off the Connection Point Youth, the relaunch party. That was an awesome time. Um, the youth are crazy, and I love that. Pastor Mark just gets in there and mixes in with a bunch. It's a good time. Um, but what a joy. And as I was reflecting on that yesterday morning and thinking about the week gone by and thinking about the message I was going to share this morning, the message that we're going to get into as we continue with Luke chapter 2 and we'll finish Luke chapter 2 today, it's kind of a hinge passage because we've talked about the infancy narratives, talked about uh, Jesus entering, coming into a time and space in history but now we're going to look at Jesus as he goes to the temple. He's 12 years old, so it's kind of coming out of infancy narrative, and now we're going to move into the life of Christ. But this is kind of a stands in between, and it's a great picture for us of the value of preparation, the value of getting ready for all that God wants to do. And I tell you, my prayer is, Lord, help us be ready individually, but Jesus, help us be ready as a church to prepare for all that you want to do uh, through us as a body. And as I was looking at this last week, you know, those things didn't just happen like matter of, matter of fact. I mean, that was, as we think about the service on Wednesday, that was six months ago we were talking about preparing and planning that service. That wasn't just a one-night thing. As we think about the kickoff party for youth, Pastor Mark and, and Ashley Day with the youth leaders have been planning for months for that. Preparation matters, and we see that in the life of Jesus. You know, as we look at Jesus, let me ask the question, how many here would say, I'd like to be like Jesus? Most people have that impression, yeah, I'd like to be like Jesus. Maybe some people, you know, they're on the fence, that's okay. But when we make that statement, we usually aren't thinking of that in terms of, I'd like to have 30 years of anonymity, like nobody knows me. You know, I, I want to wander in the wilderness. I want to be tempted. I want to face torture and crucifixion. Like, those aren't the things we sign up for, right? Like, that's not what we have in mind. When we say we want to be like Jesus, we're talking about all the other stuff. But here's what's important as we look at all of those other things that we wouldn't necessarily want to choose for ourselves. 
Jesus' character and authority are not isolated entities. They are not disconnected commodities that we can purchase at a discount. Jesus' character and authority, they come with Jesus' life. They come out of 30 years of anonymity, time in the wilderness, temptations, torture, crucifixions. If you really want to be like Jesus, if you really want to have his character and authority, you have to embrace the preparation that he underwent. Jesus' hidden years empowered him to live an eternally fruitful life. We can't discount those years. So as we finish Luke chapter 2 today, here's what we're going to find. That to be used mightily by God, we must, you must get prepared. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to finish up Luke chapter 2 today. 22 more chapters to go. (laughs) We're getting there. I'm going to invite you to stand too for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 reading verses 41 to 52. And we simply stand out of reverence for his word, that his word is with us, that God gave us his word. What a joy we have it. So Luke chapter 2, you know, we we finished with uh, verse 40 last week, but I want to read that and apply that to where we're at. Because what we find in the passage we're looking at this morning is it's bookended by Jesus growing in wisdom and favor with God and man. So in verse 40, this is from last week, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. So we know that Jesus, for the first 12 years of his life, he was growing in wisdom, because that's what we then run into. Um, So here we go in verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers. So what those three days were is one day where they went and traveled, they couldn't find him, one day coming back, and then they spent a day looking for him in Jerusalem. They found him at the temple, listening to them and asking the teachers questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? (laughs) What a way to, you know. I don't know. My kid asked me that question. That's not going to go very well. (laughs) Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Uh, Some of you may have a footnote there. Some translations say, Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And really, the, the direct translation, if you look at the New Testament, the Greek behind it, it actually just says, did you not know I needed to be about my father's dot, dot, dot? It's, it's basically not filled in. It's not, it doesn't say house, doesn't say business. But basically, the translation is, didn't you know I needed to be about the things of the father? That's really what the translation is. That's what he's telling them. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. So the very words of God may be seated this morning. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. So there wasn't some divine download where he just got it all to begin with. He had to grow. He had to grow in physical form. He had to grow in wisdom. And so the first point we're going to look at this morning is that to be used mightily by God, you must get prepared through education. Let me say that again. To be used mightily by God... You must get prepared through education. It's important. You know, some people have the misunderstanding that Jesus and the disciples, that they were completely uneducated. 
Some people have, have spoke that way, like they were just, you know, some backwoods hicks. They didn't understand anything. But that's not what history or scripture reveals. I mean, just think about the fact that Peter, John, James, the brother of Jesus, they wrote books in the Bible that at least tells us they were literate, they could read and write, right? It also knows that, that we know that they knew uh, multiple languages. New Testament's written in Greek, but in the synagogues was Aramaic and Hebrew. So we know that the disciples and Jesus, that they were not completely uneducated. Uh, as we look at and understand, children during the second temple period, during the first century, so during the time that Jesus was in the land of Israel, we know they were educated in schools attached to the town synagogue. They were educated. David Flusser, he's passed away some years ago, uh, he was formerly a premier professor of early Christianity and Judaism of the Second Temple period, a professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, really smart guy. And here's what he had to say uh, with his understanding and study of Jesus. He said, when Jesus' sayings are examined against the background of contemporaneous Jewish learning, it's easy to observe that Jesus was far from uneducated. He was perfectly at home, both in scripture and in oral tradition. When you read the New Testament, Jesus over and over is quoting Psalms and Isaiah in particular, but he's quoting scripture. And here's what he says, and he knew how to apply his scholarly heritage. Moreover, here's a profound statement, Jesus's Jewish education was incomparably superior to that of St. Paul. Most of us recognize Paul was a highly educated individual. Paul says it of himself. But what Flusser is saying is you look at Jesus and his life and what he's talking about and the way that he weaves things together, Jesus' education was far superior. Uh, Josephus Flavius, he's a first century Jewish historian. He actually wrote about Jesus in his, his historical book, Jewish Antiquities. He says, here's what Josephus says, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man. Now how many of you knew that uh, a recognized historian actually talks about Jesus outside of the Bible? Maybe you were unaware of that, but Josephus did. And what he says about him is that he was a wise man. And the word that he's using for wise was understood to be a sage. Like he was a Galilean sage. He was a smart, a wise person. Jesus was no simple peasant. As you read through the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find is Jesus quoting scripture. He knows the scriptures. He knows God's word. Some scholars even argue that by the time he's 30, when he's being recognized at water baptism that he would have memorized the entire Old Testament. Now, that's a challenge for us today. Talk about uh, intelligent. That's amazing. Memorizing the Old Testament. That was the goal. That was the goal of first century learning. So then the question is, where did Jesus get his education from? You know, many of the true scholars, the, the sages of the day, we know that they were artisans. In fact, carpenters and masons were regarded as particularly learned. I mean, we think of carpenters today as blue-collar workers, but that was not the case in the first century. A carpenter in the ancient world, a mason, because again, they were usually building with rocks, this is a person who didn't just do the grunt labor. This individual was the architect, the engineer, the person who did the grunt labor, but also did the finishing touches on the work as well. So we need to expand our horizon and understand who a carpenter mason was. In fact, they were so respected in village life that if a difficult problem was under discussion, here's what was written about it said that they would ask, is there a carpenter among us or the son of a carpenter who can help us solve the problem? I mean, think about it. If you're building things, you're a problem solver. You know how to solve problems. You know, something else that's important is to understand is how the world of the sages worked. You know, the sages, they were skeptical of the professional academic. This is actually part of the challenge for Jesus as he's encountering the religious leaders of the day. The sages had a problem with those who were professional academics. 
They believed they needed to have one foot in the real world and one foot in the study of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they felt like we needed to be workers, laborers, but we also needed to be after the things of God. There had to be a balance. In fact, there's a saying from the Mishnah that says, if there is no flour, in other words, if you're not somebody who's bringing home the bread, then there's no place for the study of Torah. First century sages, they were tradesmen, fishermen, day laborers. Hillel, if you've heard of Hillel and Shammai, uh, first century sages, he was a leading Jewish sage from the first century. He's said to have chopped wood for half a day and then studied the Torah for the other half of the day. And we also hear of sages, of course, who were carpenters. And so I ask, where do you think Jesus received his education? Who is Jesus' teacher? What do you think? You can talk, it's okay. Yeah, I think it's his dad, Joseph. The job of a father was to teach his son a trade and to teach them the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Joseph and Mary, they resettle in Nazareth after their time in Egypt, and we read in the last week that Jesus grew and became strong and filled with wisdom. So basically, they go back to Nazareth, and for 12 years, Joseph is teaching his son, and of course, he continues to do that for as long as Joseph is alive. When we read in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph was a just man, remember Joseph the just, we talked about that. It can also be translated as righteous. It comes from the Greek word dikaios, and it means sadik. So it also could mean Joseph the sage. That's how you can translate that. So it's most likely that Joseph was Jesus' teacher. So the question is, what does education look like? Well, when King Herod died, he left his three sons in charge. And here's a map that will show you those regions. Archelaus was over Jerusalem and Judea. We see that in the red. And then we see that his son Antipas was over the purple part, which was the Galilee. And his son Philip was over the brown part, which is up near Caesarea Philippi. It's Caesarea Philip because of the, the son of Herod. So Herod had these three sons, and he left them over charge of these three areas. And what's important is, is that during the reign of Antipas, so Herod Antipas, he's the one that beheads John the Baptist. He's the one that's over the Galilee region. And so in this time, what happens is, is um, Antipas, he's rebuilding a city called Sephorus, a city that's been captured by his father, and the city is going to serve as his capital. Sephorus is about three miles northwest of Nazareth, along the ancient east-west trans-Galilean roadway that linked the Mediterranean Sea to the west with the city of Tiberias uh, to the Sea of Galilee. So the reconstruction of the capital city, it would have required every builder in the area. Uh, what we know is that Sephorus was only three miles away from Nazareth, so it was very close to Nazareth. In fact, some scholars argue that one of the reasons that Joseph didn't go back to Judea uh, because Archelaus was there is that he knew Sephorus was being built and he would have a job if he went back to Nazareth. That's one of the arguments that they make. So if you look here, Sephorus, in the purple, it's kind of right in the middle there. You look straight across from Sephorus and you see Mount Carmel. There's a lot of things that go on from Sephorus. Now, if you look where it's located, it's basically the ultimate flannel graph. Anybody grow up with flannel graphs? Yes, Pastor Zach is still arguing to bring those back. They're awesome. It's like the ultimate DVD teaching series because from where you're at in Sephorus, you can see the stories of the Old Testament. I mean, Joseph, he's, he's basically working with Jesus, teaching him how to build, to be a carpenter, to be a mason. At the same time, he points out and says, look, do you see that ridge over there? That's Mount Carmel. Let me tell you about Elijah and Baal, the prophets of Baal. Isn't that awesome that he could be sitting right there and pointing out these Old Testament stories? Gideon, he says, you see that creek over there? Let me tell you about Gideon when, when God said, you need to reduce your army so that I can be shown as mighty. 
So this is some of the ruins of Sepphoris today. It was, a, it was a mighty city at the time of Jesus. And it was a city where it looks like Joseph put his hand to trade, teaching Jesus not only how to be a carpenter mason, but also teaching him much about the Bible. Now what about the passage we read this morning? Jesus is left behind in Jerusalem. And where do Mary and Joseph find him? Where do they find him? In the temple, yep. And what's he doing? He's talking to teachers. He's answering questions and asking questions. So he's in dialogue with them. In other words, he's engaging in conversational study of the Torah. They're talking it through. And Mary comes and asks Jesus the question, Why did you do this to your father and me? And what is Jesus' response? Did you not know that I had to be about the things of my father? You know, is it possible he's doing what he's doing because he's seen his adopted earthly father, Joseph, doing that same thing a thousand times over in the synagogue in Nazareth? You know who I think Jesus' teacher was? I think it was his dad. I think Joseph was a sage. And I think he was brilliant. And his best student was his son. When you look at James, you can look at the New Testament, and you see different levels of Greek in the way that the New Testament books are written. And when you look at the book of James, it's a high level of Greek. So James is the brother of Jesus, if you didn't know that. So obviously Joseph's, uh, Joseph was a smart person pouring into the life of his sons, teaching them and teaching them well. Jesus was in the temple doing the things of his father Joseph, teaching about the way of God because this was the heart of God the Father, that people would know him. And this is the amazing thing about this passage. In one line, Jesus can be referring to the life habits of his earthly adopted father Joseph, and at the same time, his heavenly father, whose house is represented by the temple, and whose will is that none should perish, but that everyone would experience life in him. Joseph was so much about the business of God, Jesus was too. Twelve-year-old Jesus, he saw modeled in his earthly adopted father the heart of God the Father, whose business was in the temple, proclaiming his word. By the time Jesus reaches age 30, when he begins his ministry, he basically would have had a PhD in Bible, theology, discipleship, and evangelism. He knew what he was doing when Jesus starts out in ministry. You know, our scripture passage says that he grew in wisdom. It wasn't just granted to him. He had to go to school. He had to learn the Bible. Jesus was fully God and fully man. I think sometimes we forget about the fully man piece. Jesus had to learn too. So let's not discount the man part and think that there's simply some divine download that took place and that he didn't have to work to learn all that he knew. If you have a desire to be used mightily by God, put in the time, the effort, the energy, the resources to earn a degree. Get some qualifications, credentials, and gain experience. When we were working with schools overseas, I frequently had people asking, hey, I love to see what you guys are doing in Sudan and in Jerusalem. What can I do to be a part? And the first question I have to ask is, well, do you have your college degree? If they said yes, we'd keep talking. If they said no, I said, well, start there. Just like schools in the U.S. want you to have qualifications, so do schools overseas. Get your degrees and qualifications so that you can be used mightily by God. You know, but this isn't just a trend I see with people looking to be involved in overseas work. You see it in the U.S. as well. I get the impression that far too often, people don't want to put the work into absolutely getting prepared for what their future could hold. You know, I joked last week that I intend to put all my credentials and degrees on a wall and then label it the dung wall. But I, I do that not because the qualifications and credentials aren't important. They are. But I just don't think we put faith in those things. My confidence and your confidence should be in God. Your identity is found in him. So yes, I'm going to seek qualifications and credentials, but in the end, our qualifications and credentials are granted by God above everything else. May we put our trust in him. 
You know, but getting prepared is vital for you to make a lasting kingdom impact. You know, for many of you today, the most godly thing you could do right now is to pursue an education. The best education in whatever field God would lay on your heart. Aspire to be the best in your field, and not just for you, but for the opportunity it provides to impact the lives of others for the kingdom. You know, as Mark Batterson likes to promote, work as if it depends on you, and pray as if it depends on God. That's a winning combination. So youth, the best thing you could do is finish high school and finish well. Apply yourselves. Apply yourselves well there. Purdue and Ivy Tech students, finish your degrees. Don't quit. Run that race well. And adults, be lifelong learners. Never stop learning. If God's leading you to start a business, get the education you need to do so. If God's leading you to be a minister, to serve the church, to serve as a cross-cultural worker, and go to North Central where Pastor Mark went. Get prepared there. You know, as we looked at uh, the event that happened on Friday night, it's fun to think about, you know, we talk about two months of preparation for planning for that. But really, Pastor Mark, 10 years ago, as he was a sponsor here, said, you know what, I want to get prepared. He went off to North Central, got his degree, got his experience. 10 years later, we have a relaunch party at Connection Point Youth. That's preparation. And I love it. And I love where the youth are headed with Pastor Mark and Ashley there. You can go to Evangel, uh, Pastor Andrew, who's our online campus pastor and creative arts director. It's a great school as well. I've taken master's classes there. So put in the work, put in the time to earn the degree you need to get the experience you need to do what God's called you to do. Luke and Paul, the men who wrote almost the entire New Testament between them, they were highly educated individuals. Now, you can still be used by God without an education, but why limit the potential you have to impact the world around you? Don't limit yourself. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus, Luke and Paul. Get as much education as you can to maximize your ability to be used by God. To be used mightily by God, get prepared through education. And then to be used mightily by God, you also must get prepared through the church. It's an important part. To be used mightily by God, get prepared through the church. Where did Mary and Joseph find Jesus in Jerusalem? We said in the temple. They found him there. In the temple courts, talking with religious leaders. If you have a desire to be used mightily by God, you should have a desire to be fully engaged in his church. You won't be satisfied sitting on the sidelines. This passage is the high point of the birth narrative as Jesus explains why he has come. The portrait of Jesus reflects his own self-understanding. He begins to get it. The dialogue reveals the main point of this passage. It's called a pronouncement account. Jesus pronounces at the age of 12 his mission. He's going to be about the things of God the Father. You know, the vision for our church is that we ignite passion for Jesus. That what we want to see happen is that people come into this place, they receive a passion for Jesus, and they go out doing the same thing, igniting that passion. And the way we do that as we look through the mission of the church is on, we come on Sunday mornings because we want to lead people to a place of believing in Jesus. It all starts there. But we've got to go from there to the place where we're connected in the church, a place of belonging to the body. We need one another. I'll keep saying it. We may come to Jesus alone, but we grow in Christ together because we need to become like him so that we can then bring Jesus to the world and bring people to a place where they get connected to his body as well. And what does it look like to become like Jesus? But our five core values where we challenge people, abide daily, live the word, which living the word is simply loving God and loving others. May nothing stand in the way of your relationship with God and other people. We want to share the story of Jesus, give generously, and also serve others. If you're doing those five things, I promise you, you're changing the world around you. So this is how we as a church have said, we want to prepare you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. It's an important part. You know, one of, our, uh, one of the best ways that you could be used mightily by God is also to become a multiply mentor. 
many of you already serve in this role, walking alongside others who made a decision to follow Jesus. And many of you would like to, but you feel like you need more training to do that. So we've heard that request. And so what we want to do in the fall is run a connect group for multiply mentorship so that you can receive the training you need to come alongside others. What I've seen in the church is that people, if you've learned a lot about God, but you haven't applied it by helping somebody else grow in Christ, then it's hard for you to truly absorb and to live that out. Something amazing happens when you have somebody pouring into you that you can be learning, but then you take and you pour that into the life of somebody else. Here's what happens. When you walk alongside somebody who's new in their faith, all of a sudden they start asking you questions, and you're like, oh, I don't know, but I think I could find the answer to that. And it starts to challenge and grow you in ways you've never been grown before. So I encourage you, be a part of Multiply. And if you feel like, I just don't know if I'm ready for that, jump in the Connect Group in the fall, and we'll train you in that. What happens is you learn to depend on the Holy Spirit in new ways. That we love the combination of scholarship and spirit. That we want to receive education so we know what we're doing, but we also want to be led by His Spirit. So get prepared by being involved in the church. Learn to serve others. It helps you become more like Jesus, who came, who came to serve and not be served. And then you can join our Multiply Connect group in the fall to be trained in how you can um, serve others and make disciples of others. To be used mightily by God, get prepared through the church. And the last point is this, is that to be used mightily by God, you must be prepared through anonymity. Maybe you've never considered that, but you look at the life of Jesus. To be used mightily by God, you must get prepared through anonymity. He, Jesus grew up as a relatively uncelebrated boy, yet this is precisely how God planned it. It's almost as though he hid the Son of God for the first three decades of his life. And during those hidden years in Nazareth, God granted Jesus protected, undisturbed room to be and to become, to grow and to learn. And that's how hidden years can be for every one of us. If we can recognize their potential and realize that anonymous seasons are sacred spaces to be rested in, not rushed through, and most definitely never to be regretted. You need to embrace those hidden years, those anonymous years. I'm going to have Shelly come and share a little bit about this topic and content because we've talked much about this in our years of growing and developing and becoming more like Christ. So Shelly, if you'd share. So we're pretty big on books. (laughs) All right, so here's the one on the screen. Before I get into this, I'm going to backtrack um, just a little bit first. So Zach, you know, he's talking about how Jesus got prepared, you know, through education, and, you know, we need to do the same. And I feel like it's so easy to hear that from Zach because he just loves education. I mean, he wants to learn as much as he can, as fast as he can, and there's no stopping him. And as he's gone on to pursue different degrees, I have been his biggest cheerleader to say, go ahead, sign up, you know, go on, whatever you want to do. But in my heart, up until a little over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, in my heart, I was saying, but don't ever ask me to do it because I'm not doing it. <laughs> and, you know, and he, he knows, he knows this, and that's why I get to, you know, tell you about it. Anyway, it's, um, I didn't do an awesome job in school. I really didn't apply myself, so I wasn't very successful, which then there's your spiral. You don't apply yourself, you're not successful, and after a while, it's just all frustrating. And so by the time I'm in college, I was working, you know, part-time, which felt like full-time plus, I don't know, it just, I was so overwhelmed all the time. 
And I realized I've got to do this. I absolutely have to finish my degree. Otherwise, I will have wasted a lot of money. And my parents never gave us an option. It was, you will finish high school, you will finish college, and then we'll talk about whatever. And for me, because I have two older brothers, and then there was me. And I knew I wanted to be in missions. I knew the Lord had called me into missions from the time I was like seven years old. And my mom and dad were not going to let me forget that early call on my life. But then when it was time for college, I was kind of feeling like I'd go into education. I'd been able to work in my high school in a childcare um, class, and I really enjoyed it. And I felt like, you know, if I was going to do education, I'd probably go into early childcare. I really like that. So that was my, not childcare, childhood, early childhood. I'm in childcare so much right now. It's like my whole world. Anyway, early childhood became my degree because my dad, who was so practical, said, you know what? You need to get a degree. You can get a degree in missions if you want to, but at the end of college, you may not get a job in missions right away, and you're going to have this big school bill to pay for, so get a job, get a degree that's going to get you a paying job. And so I was like, okay, I'll go into education. But I always knew God would open a door for me to be involved in missions. And, you know, of course, you know that whole story. So anyways, I'm, I'm working through this. It doesn't all make perfect sense. I'm getting a degree, but I want to do missions and trusting God in it, not doing all that great until I found a professor who just like, I don't know, it was just a good combination. And he totally illuminated, I could be successful and I, I could apply myself and I was a good learner. And it's like so many things kind of came together my sophomore year in college that it was like, thank you, Jesus. I needed this. I needed to be able to persevere. And of course, you know, I did graduate and got my degree and, and that was wonderful. But when I graduated, it was like, whew, thank you, Lord. I am finished with that. And may I never sign up for another class, so help me, God. And so that really was my, my attitude. And it was pretty firm in my heart. And, you know, I didn't want to give it the time, and I didn't want to give it the money. But then, of course, I've married Zach, you know, and he's just like, if there's a class, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get a straight A, and I'm gonna, you know, and I'm just like, that's your path. It's not mine, you know. Can you stay over there? So a year and a half ago, we had come back from the States, and, you know, we're still getting all these emails about life and work overseas, and we happened to get this email, and I knew it. I knew it immediately that God was putting his finger on this hard part in my heart about education. And it made me emotional and it made me mad because I felt like, you know what? I have already done Sudan and I have done Jerusalem and I have, you know what I mean? It's like I kind of had my guard up to say I didn't really want the Lord to put his finger there, but he did. And he did it in, in his own way because I really just felt like there was a need. And I would need to take classes in order to fill this need overseas. And so I was a weepy mess, and I was talking to Zach about it and saying, you know what, I really feel like I might, I might have to pursue a master's degree. Ugh. I mean, it was just like, Ugh. I never wanted to utter those words. But I didn't know in a matter of weeks, God would lead us here to you. 
And are you seeing, are you seeing part of my struggle in coming here to you guys? It's like the Lord knew, and he has such a sense of humor to send somebody who didn't want education in an education town. So anyways, I was so thankful the Lord began to put his finger on that before I met you, before I moved to this town, and it already started putting in me a hunger to say, you know what, I really think I would enjoy it. And not so much for the degree, but just for the learning, because the Lord had shaped my heart to say, if you want to go after this, get the classes, do the classes. So anyways, I just want to be another voice that maybe you identify more with me in the way that maybe education has just been a struggle in your life, but just allow the Holy Spirit to meet that area in your life and pursue whatever he has and trust that the Lord will help you along the way. It might be a little harder, but he will be so faithful and bless you in the areas that he wants to take you. So to Anonymous, we, um, we went overseas, we went to Sudan, and so we had Nate who was 14 months old. So for those who have children, you know there's like the infancy phase where the kid just doesn't really move around and do a whole lot. But then they hit this phase where they move and their will comes out and you're like, oh, so this is parenthood, how lovely. And that's where I was at the same time we arrive in Jerusalem. And I really, you know, or not in Jerusalem, Sudan. I had my degree, I had been teaching full time, I had taken that year off for itineration And we get there, and of course, Zach's going to be at the school. He's the administrator. That's his job. But I'm a mother, and I have Nate, but I'm a teacher, and I want to be at the school. And we've itinerated for 14 months and told everybody how I was going to be at the school, and I'm going to work at the school, and I'm going to get to know all these families. And then it just became very obvious that I really couldn't be at the school with a toddler. It was just a wreck all the time. Nate was everywhere. Zach was frustrated. I was frustrated. And it just became obvious. I needed to just stay home. Then I had to hit the wall of, well, if God, you were going to have me stay at home all the time, why did you bring me to Sudan? I don't speak the language. I don't have public library. I don't have parks, playgrounds, recreation, mom's group, mom's anything. I just felt all alone. And as I uttered those words, somebody said, you need to read the book Anonymous. And I thought, well, how am I going to get it? And our district superintendent's wife had given me this book. And we brought it with us, and it was on the bookshelf in our home in Sudan. So this became my friend. I read through this book and began to talk to Zach about it. And I just realized I needed to be anonymous. I was struggling so much with where the Lord was leading me in what we call the glorious deconstruction phase. And I had to just absolutely change my mindset completely. The only thing that could matter was God and the process that he wanted to bring me through. And I know that in worship, we'll talk about a loving father, the good father, he loves us. And that is so necessary for people to know when they come to Christ. Then as you walk with Christ, There are other aspects of God that don't seem very kind and gentle. And that's the God I met in Sudan in my glorious deconstruction where it was like he said, you better hold on with both hands because this is gonna hurt. And he just started chiseling and chiseling and chiseling away at my pride and my confidence 
my self-worth. It's like he just tore it all down. And when I finally came to the Lord like nothing, he said, okay, now I've got you exactly where I want you. And I'm going to reshape you into the person I want you to be. And so I basically had a decade of anonymous. And then I came to you. So I hope that kind of gives you a better picture of why I've been timid to take this platform and to take this microphone and to say, I'm Pastor Shelley. Because even though I know God has opened this door for me, I kind of come at it with fear and trembling because I don't want to take a place that doesn't honor God. I don't want to go back through what he put me through. And if it's not for him, and if it's not unto him, and if it's not for his glory, I don't want any part of it. He rooted that out of me. So when I have the opportunity to be before you or to talk to you, and I'm looking at you because the Lord is growing this in me, and as I get to meet with different ones and you start to talk to me about things, I just want to like jump in your soul and just start throwing things out and say, let me help speed up the process because it's going to be a long road, kid. (laughs) And that's just how I feel in my spirit. And some of you will say, but you don't know me very well, but I love you because God brought me here in such a way to say, you're not anonymous anymore. And you can just open your heart and you can just love and you can live according to what I've determined for your life. And so I say all that to say, follow after God. If he has put something in your heart, go for it. Don't hold back. Learn all you can because you will not understand what God's going to turn that into. When I was in Sudan struggling, I didn't know I'd be here. There's no way I could have known. And I don't know what I would have done accurately had I known. So just be faithful to God. Trust him that he created you for a purpose. And we have to walk with him, endure with him, so that he can get us to the place where he can use us for his glory. Not our own, but it is fun. It's fun to be in the right place at the right time and living and serving God Almighty to the ability he has given because he has given it. So I get to wake up and say, oh, we really do live in Indiana (laughs) and we pastor Connection Point Church. It's like every single day God reminds me, see how good I am? Aren't you glad you hung in there? You know, it's just, it's amazing that The struggles are real, but I don't regret it, not in the least. And there are honestly times where I think back to my time in Sudan and feel like, man, it was so brutal, but God's presence was almost tangible to feel that again. But I don't want to go back to Sudan and do it here. But anyways, just love on the Lord. If it feels a little uncomfortable sometimes, Don't try to get out of that. Just lean into the presence of the Lord and trust that he knows what he's doing and he can turn that tough and rough time into something unbelievable. But you have to stick with it. 
Thanks, y'all. So embrace, embrace those hidden years. You really have to embrace them. Don't forgo the value of quiet preparation to be able to be ready for all that God has for you. It's a part of the process. To be used mightily by God, you must get prepared. You know, Satan will do everything he can to invite you to not prepare. You've got to know that. Because he does not want you to be used mightily by God. We need to recognize that. His temptations have remained the same throughout the ages. There's nothing new under the sun there. He will encourage you to seek immediate gratification. Our culture will help reinforce that for you instead of waiting. He'll put a desire within you to seek man's attention, acceptance and applause over God's. The enemy will put it there. And he will cause you to want the world's power and possessions thinking that's the way that you get influence and that's the way that you gain authority. But choosing instead to embrace your years of preparation, it goes against all of that. Through unapplauded, our anonymous seasons, our times of preparations, they're not even remotely unproductive. In them, God cultivates strengths that stand the test of time. In your anonymous years, you get to be anchored in God's word. You learn self-control, an accurate portrait of who God is, an unshakable identity, trust in God's timing, a disciplined imagination, an eternal perspective. In such strengths, they're not given, they're grown Talking about Jesus growing in wisdom, these things have to grow. They're the fruit of active participation in years of preparation. Anonymous seasons can be the most spiritually fruitful spaces of our lives if we respect their potential and cooperate with God in their development. The most influential life in all of history spent 90% of his days in preparation. Think about that for Jesus. 90% spent in preparation during the three mostly undocumented, undecorated decades, God the Father put Jesus in a place where he could learn, grow, and develop in order to live an empowered and obedient life and to die an eternally fruitful death. How thankful we all can be that Jesus recognized the value and necessity of preparation. How could your life perspective be different if you were embracing your years of preparation instead of dreading them? How could growth, what kind of growth could you experience? If you embrace your season of preparing instead of trying to speed past it, seasons of preparation are the surprising source of enduring spiritual strength. So savor the season. Respect its potential. And in doing so, you'll have the potential to be used mightily for God's kingdom. I'd like to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I'd like to ask, you know, have you been wandering through life? Maybe without purpose? Mostly because you haven't reconnected with God? You've not reconnected with your creator. But maybe today you'd say, you know what? I want to walk with purpose. I want to be able to embrace the life God has for me. But you first have to make the decision to follow after God. So with every head bowed here this morning, I'd like to just ask, if that's you this morning, you'd say, you know what? I want to be reconnected with God. I want to find his purpose for my life. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. Simply raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you this morning that as you leave from this place that you can be connected with who God is. Anybody would say, that's me today. I want to follow after God. Simply raise your hand and we'll just pray with you before we go and we close today. Let me just pray with you before we sing. Jesus, we just pray that you would impress upon hearts. Give them wisdom, Father, and insight to know where they are, to be able to recognize the phase that they're in. If they're in a place of preparation, a place of, of leaning in on you and growing in your word, I pray that they would embrace that. Lord, if people are wandering through the wilderness, they're in that place of, of firming up their identity in you, I pray that they would hold fast to that as well. 
And Lord, for the purpose of being able to be used mightily in your name. God, I pray that as we close in song, that we would seal in our hearts a desire to be more like you, to follow after you in every area of your life. May nothing be missed, that we might walk in your spiritual authority and in your influence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing this morning. Pastor Mark is up here in the front. And as we dismiss from this place, I just want you to begin thinking, if, if you're here and you've not made a decision to follow after God, as people depart from this room this morning after we sing, I'm just going to encourage you, instead of going out the doors, to come forward to the front and meet with Pastor Mark. But let's sing, and then we'll close.